How are you guys doing today? Good? Okay. Okay, That's not acceptable. This many people can be louder than that. Come on. How are you doing? I approve. I approve. Good job. I'm doing good, too. It's great to see you guys. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Um, While I'm introducing myself, if you guys have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Mark 10, uh, 35. Um, If not, it's also going to be up there on the screen. So my name is Christopher Green. I am a senior at Sterling College. I'm a biblical studies major. Um, Just about to graduate. Just about to get married to uh, that beautiful girl over there. Um, So... That's just, just a little bit about me. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read our text for today, then we'll pray, then we'll get started, all right? So Mark 10, that's Judges 10, just a second. Mark 10, 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or, be, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them, and he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's go ahead and pray together. Dear Lord God, thank you so much. Uh, Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what you've spoken to us. Um, Thank you for the good and loving God you are. Um, Thank you that you've made yourself accessible through your word. I I pray that we would um, be able to to share in that during this time, Lord God, that you would help me uh, to share your perfect word as best an imperfect person would and help each of us here to be able to listen listen to your word and have open hearts and minds to hear um, and receive and apply what it has to say to us. We love you, Lord God. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. So um, a quick story about me. Uh, in high school, believe it or not, I played tennis. Got a few tennis players? Awesome. And I had a, <laughs> I had a tennis coach in high school. We'll just call him Coach K. And if you got if you guys in here have a Coach K, I actually went to a school and gave the same message, and they had a Coach K like at their school. I was just like, this is kind of awkward. What do I do here? Anyway, so Coach K, when you think of tennis players, you think of people who are kind of light and springy, kind of able to move around fast, you know? Not the case with Coach K. Coach K was able to move around. I saw him move around, but he chose not to. And Coach K, he had an old rinky-dink metal chair that he would sit down on the courts every single practice. Believe it or not, he called it his throne. And he would sit on his throne the entire practice. At at the beginning of the practice, he would yell at the nearest freshman to him. It was usually me. He'd yell something out like, Green, go get me the throne. 
And so I, in fear for my life at that moment, would have to run as fast as I could across the court to the equipment shed. And I'd, I'd open the door, I'd grab the throne, and I'd run back across the courts. And I'd set the throne down right by him. And he would sit down on the throne and not get up again for the rest of practice. From that throne... He would bark orders at us. He would tell us how to do the drills, what to do in the drills. Uh, but, but the part that bothered me the most, from that chair, from that throne, Coach K would yell things at us like, faster, one more lap. And I got to tell you guys, when someone is sitting in a chair that they haven't gotten up from for the last hour and a half and telling me to run faster, I got a few questions, <laughs> right? Anybody in here can relate with that? Yeah, doesn't, doesn't feel the best. Now, let me tell you a story about another coach I had. This coach was named Coach Baker. He was my weights coach. He was a great guy. Now, Coach Baker wasn't no pushover, all right? Coach Baker was more than twice the age of any of the students he taught, but he could, you know, lift about 100, 150 pounds more than any of us could on our best day. And I got to tell you what. This guy would work out next to us during our weight practices, and nothing lights a fire under you more than an old man sitting next to you lifting more than you could ever hope to lift. It's like, I can't let, I can't let an old man outvest me. And it, it really inspired us. Now, I'll give you three guesses which of those coaches I respected more. What, what do you think? K. Coach K. Coach K. <laughs> Sit in the chair. No, I'm sorry. It wasn't Coach K. I probably had a little bit more respect for Coach Baker because he knew that by going out of his way a little bit, by stepping into a little bit of an uncomfortable zone for him, by working out with us, he could inspire us to be better than we were. He, he, he was thinking about other people. He wasn't thinking about himself. Now, in this passage that we just read, I, I kind of perceive that there are two types of greatness going on. And, and in the story I told too, there's two types of greatness going on. One is self-centered greatness. That, that's kind of what Coach K was. He, self-centered greatness is all about what kind of authority, what kind of benefits could I get? What's in it for me, right? And, you know, he would sit on his throne and bark orders at us, but he didn't really think about what he could do to go out of his way to help us. Coach Baker, on the other hand, was, was more this kind of others-centered greatness. He, he was a great guy. And he would, um, like I said, he would go out of his way, and it inspired us. He, he thought about other people. Now, if you had to guess, would you say that Jesus was others-focused or self-focused? Others-centered or self-centered? Others-centered, that's right. We, we, know that, we know that already. We're going to unpack that a little bit in this text where we see both types. I, I think that in this text we see the disciples being a little bit self-centered in the way they're going about, th- about things. And Jesus is saying to them, no, the way to be great is not to be self-centered. It's to be other-centered. Godly greatness is not self-centered. It's other-centered. Godly greatness is not self-centered. It's other-centered. That's what Jesus was saying. Amen. So, amen. All, all right. So we have this request by James and John. They come up to Jesus and they say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay down a little life wisdom on you guys right here. If somebody comes up to you and they say, Hey, whatever I tell you to do, I want you to do that. Uh-uh, that's right. You're going to say no, right? When somebody comes up to you and he says, Whatever I tell you to do, you got to do it. I guarantee to you that person is up to no good. 
It's no different than James and John. Even though they were disciples, even though they were apostles, even though they were some of the people closest to Jesus, they were up to no good in this instance. Now, Jesus, being the wisest man in the world, instantly sees through this ploy, and he asks them, what is it that you want? And they say to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. So at, at this point, this, this, is, this is getting near to the end of Jesus' ministry. He's on his way to Jerusalem, where he's going to die on the cross. This, this is near the end of his ministry. And at this point, the disciples have seen him do great things. They've seen him heal multitudes of people. They've, they've heard him give really great teachings. He has looked at a storm that is raging and just said, stop it. And the storm, storm stopped. He has raised people from the dead. The disciples knew at this point that there was something pretty special about this guy. And what was their thought process at this point? Not, wow, what an honor it is to be super close to this really great guy. It was, hey, I'm pretty close to this guy. What can I get out of it? What can I get out of it? And so the disciples were saying, Jesus, we know you're the son of God. We know that you are the Messiah. We know that you're number one. We're not going to take that from you. But if you're number one, we want you to make us number two and number three. It was all about them. It was all about what benefits, what authority, what power they could get out of Jesus. It wasn't about other people. So um, Jesus replies to them, uh, you do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Now, when I first read that, I was a little bit confused. How many other guys in here are a little bit confused when you hear that? Right? So here's the thing. I think when Jesus said that to James and Don, they were like, I don't even know what you're talking about, man. They, they didn't know what he was talking about. Cup, baptism, what's that supposed to be? But they still said, yeah, we can do that. Now, looking back at it now, now that we've, we've seen the whole gospel text written out for us, we, we can kind of tell that Jesus' cup and his baptism are probably the fact that he suffered and died for us. That, that, was, that was his law. That, that's why he came down here, right? Do you think that they would have been so quick to say, yeah, we can do that if they'd have known what he was talking about? I don't think so. But it, but it just goes to show they were willing to do anything they were willing to do whatever, say whatever, do whatever in order to get the benefits for them. Do you think, guys, think that is other-centered or do you think it is self-centered? What is it? Self-centered. self-centered? All right. That's, that's self-centered. It's all about them, right? So um, Jesus sends them away. He says, I'm, I'm not going to do that for you. Um, but then the other ten disciples hear about this. And they get a little bit indignant. What does indignant mean? Upset, angry, yeah, yeah. they're not happy about it. And so to get, get our minds a little bit about what's, what they're upset about, I want you to imagine yourself eating Thanksgiving dinner. How many of you guys look forward to Thanksgiving dinner every year? Oh, yeah, Thanksgiving dinner. Love it. <laughs> and so you're eating Thanksgiving dinner, right? And you're enjoying, you're enjoying the turkey, you're enjoying the mashed potatoes, you're enjoying the stuffing. You know, that, that's, all, that's all right. But what you're really looking forward to at the end of that meal is the pumpkin pie 
right? How many of you guys are going to go after that pumpkin pie at the end of the meal? I know I am. Yeah, with whipped cream on top. Mm. That's the best part, right? And so you're eating your meal. You, you didn't get to be first in the line. You're a little bit slower behind everybody. You're trying to scarf down the turkey, trying to get down those mashed potatoes, right? And it eventually gets to the point to where there's only one slice of pumpkin pie. And you're trying to eat, and you're trying to eat because you can't, you can't eat dessert until after you, you finish dinner. And you're trying to eat, and you're trying to eat. And somebody goes up to the last slice of pumpkin pie. Somebody goes up to that last slice of pumpkin pie, and they say, Hey, one more slice of pumpkin pie. Anybody mind if I take this? Now, if you guys are anything like me, that person is now your enemy, right? That's my piece of pumpkin pie. I was looking forward to that. I'm going to take it, right? And I think the same thing was going on with the disciples, with the other ten disciples, they wanted the last slice of pumpkin pie. They, they wanted a piece of the pie. They were all thinking about, what can I get out of this? I'm close to this guy. How can I cash in? Is that other-centered or is that self-centered? Self-centered. That, that's right, self-centered. Heard, heard it from a few people out there. So Jesus hears about this, and he calls his disciples to himself. And he says to them, now you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. So, um, anybody in here know what a Gentile is? Anybody raise your hand? Shout it out. Non-Jewish people, that's right. It, it's us. Probably most of, most of the people in here are Gentiles, any non-Jewish people. Um, and at this point, uh, the non-Jewish people hadn't yet received God's word. They hadn't been preached to. In the Bible, they were, at, in the earlier parts of the Bible, they were kind of considered, you know, the ungodly people. And Jesus is using them as an, an example. And when he says the Gentiles lord their authority over others, the disciples, anybody in Israel, would have had some concrete examples to think of. If you think all the way back to, to the book of Exodus, what's the story about? It's about the Israelite people in slavery and bondage to Egypt and having to be delivered out of that by God. They, they were having authority over them, abused by Gentile people. You think a little bit farther down the line, there's two nations called Assyria and Babylon. Now, what these guys did is that they came into Israel, they killed just about everybody they could find, and they forced everybody to leave the country. They abused their authority over the Israelite people, right? At, at this point, when Jesus is speaking to them, the, Ro the Romans had authority in Israel, and if you stepped a single toe out of line with the Romans, they would nail you to a cross. Jesus wasn't the only person who was crucified under the Romans. They crucified many, many thousands of people. When the Jews heard Gentiles lord their authority over others, they had some concrete examples to think of. But the thing is, lording and abusing authority over people hasn't changed. It's still going on today. We can think of some concrete examples too. So, for example, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Anybody in here a Star Wars fan? When, when I think of someone abusing their authority over people, one of the first people I think of is Darth Vader, right? What, happen, what happens if you fail Darth Vader? You get killed. You're going to get choked, right? He's going to look at you and he's going to say, you have failed me for the last time. He's going to squeeze his fist and you drop, you're done. That's, that's it, right? 
But, but there's some more serious examples, too. For, for example, uh, in a country right now called North Korea, there's a guy you might have heard of, Kim Jong-un, who's getting fat in his palace while his people are starving in the street. That's self-centered greatness. Um, in, in your own life, you might have bullies that you have to deal with every day that put you down, that belittle you, that hurt you. You might have teachers, you go to their class, and it seems like their only goal in that class isn't to teach you, but embarrass you and belittle you and hurt you. You might have, have friends that hurt you. You might have a boss that, that hurts you. Some, some people might even have abusive parents. I'm not talking about parents that make you do your chores before you can play Fortnite. I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about actual abusive parents. And even if none of those categories quite fit you, I'm very confident that each and every one of us in here at some point in our lives have, has had somebody in authority over them abuse that power over them. And it hurts, doesn't it? It doesn't feel good. And Jesus looks at those situations. He looks at that hurt that happens and he says, no, that's not the way it's supposed to be and that's not how it's going to be among you. Because greatness is not self-centered. Greatness is others-centered. Jesus says to them, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Now, that Greek word there for, for great is megas, which is the, the word that we get mega from. What are some things that you think of when you hear, when you hear the word mega? Just shout something out. Mega mind. <laughs> mega mind. All right, yeah, you've got the huge head. What are some other things? Just shout a few, few things out. Mega lights, mega sale. Yeah, it just... All these, all these, all right, ran it back in, ran it back in. All these really big, great, fantastic things, right? And Jesus says we've developed this, this idea of greatness that is not correct. True greatness, true meganness is to look at others, other people. True greatness puts others first. One of the central messages in the Bible is, is love thy neighbor as you love yourself. True greatness means putting others first. It means thinking about other people's needs rather than what we want. Thinking about how, uh, how we can help others, not how we can help us. Always being others-centered rather than being self-centered. And Jesus says, in fact, we are to be so radical with this, it's as if we are a slave to our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's as if we're a slave to other people. Not, not literally, but it's just going to illustrate how incredibly radical and how incre- incredibly far would it take this idea of it's not about me, it's about other people. So you, you might be hearing me right now and saying, you know, I like, I like what you're putting down. I like this idea of being other-centered uh, other, than, other than self-centered. But if I do this, I'm going to get trampled. That's not the way the world works. Why should I do this? And, and the simple answer I can give you to that, um, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But I'm saying that we ought to do this because that's what Jesus did before us. In verse 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus was the true example, the best example of what godly greatness is, what everything that it can be. 
We already talked a little bit before about the great miracles that Jesus did. We talked about how how he calmed storms. We talked about the authority that he had here on earth. And this authority, this authority that Jesus had, it goes back all the way to the Old Testament. And these are verses that Jesus' disciples would have been familiar with. We have have Daniel 7, um, verses 13 through 14. And it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold... With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Son of man, where have we heard that before? Jesus, that's what Jesus called himself. That was his favorite name for himself. There came one like a son of man, Jesus, and he came to the ancient of days, that's God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. He was the greatest king. He has an eternal dominion that will never end. But even though he's all these things, even though he has all this authority, was Jesus others-centered or was he self-centered? He was others-centered, right? See, there's there's this other verse about Jesus. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him. This is Jesus, so this guy who has all this authority, who has an everlasting dominion. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. See, his disciples knew something was going on when Jesus was headed to Jerusalem. They knew it was significant, but they thought Jesus was going to Jerusalem to do Daniel 7. They thought he was going to get all the authority in the world handed to him. But Jesus says, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to Jerusalem to do Isaiah 53. I'm going to be crushed. I'm going to be pierced. I'm going to be killed for you. Um, In John 15, 13... Um, it says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That, and that's what Jesus did for us. He brought us into a relationship with him. He, he gave us that opportunity. He gave us the opportunity to receive t- eternal life from him. Is that self-centered or is that other-centered? Come on, shout it out. You guys know it. It's other-centered. It's other-centered. So, that, that godly greatness is other-centered, not self-centered. So, so we're going to go back in the text just a little bit and then wrap things up. Um, Jesus, Jesus talks about the cup, his cup and his baptism, and he talks about the disciples' cup and his baptism. Jesus told, him, told them they would each drink of his cup and his baptism, it's something that each and every disciple has to do. And it looks a little bit different for each person. It means that each person because they're being other-centered rather than self-centered, is, is going to have to do some tough things in their life. And these people he was talking to, James and John, uh, James was the first person to give up his life in defense of the gospel because, because he was preaching the gospel. He wanted other, pe- other people to be saved, other people to find the love that he found. He was killed for it. John, John was exiled for the most of his life. Um, Peter, too, he's one of those disciples. He had, a, he had a cup to drink. He had a baptism to be baptized with. He, he was killed as well. Each of these people um, knew others needed to know Jesus, and they were trying to spread his word, and they were killed for it. They were oppressed for it. That's others-centered greatness.
grace, other-centered greatness, sorry. Uh, they messed up in our text, but eventually they got it. But, but do we get it? We, we may know this. Even before we came, we came into this message, most of us probably knew, yeah, you're supposed to be others-centered rather than self-centered, but is that actually what our lives look like? Are, are we, are we going to let this text speak to us and change us, or are we going to continue the way we've been going and being self-centered? Um, see, th- there are opportunities all around us. Uh, there, there's people in our school, people who need a friend, just, just, someone, just someone to talk to them, someone to stand up for them every now and again. Are you looking out for that person? maybe when you go home, you need to not be thinking about what do I want to do now that I'm home, but you need to start thinking about how can I help my family out? You know, maybe in your community even, you can look at your community around you and be asking, what is there to be done here? Is there a shelter I can volunteer at? Is there some kind of, some kind of ministry I can get involved with? Well, what can I do in my community to help other people rather than myself? And once again, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I think that that our natural state, like what we're most at home with, is to be self-centered other than others, rather than others-centered. Um, but godly greatness is not self-centered; it's others-centered. And Jesus Christ makes that possible for us. The Bible says that we, our old sin natures, that that part of us that makes us want to be self-centered, was crucified with Christ, and, and that God gave us something new. He gave us His Holy Spirit, a new identity. And if we accept that from God, if we accept what God has done for us and look to his sacrifice on the cross and look to him for help, we we can start to change. We can start to have this other-centered greatness rather than this self-centered greatness. And and that's my challenge for you guys as we leave this. I want you guys, you know, to maybe maybe look at this passage that we read today, this Mark passage, and and reflect on it. Ask ask yourself, what, what is this telling me? I want you to pray about it. Pray, pray to God to, to help you know what to do in response to this. And just find three things this week. Three things. That's all I'm asking. Where you're going to do an intentional act of service. That, that is, you're going to look around you. You're going to look at what people need around you. How you can serve them. And you're not just going to recognize it. But you're going to go out and you're going to do it. And you're going to do it in the name of God. That's my challenge to you guys. Let's go ahead and pray, and then uh, I think we're going to dismiss the small groups. I'm going to have uh, Pastor hmm? Jordan will close us. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord God, uh, thank you so much um, for, for what you've spoken to us in your word. Thank you that you are not a self-centered God. That would be a scary wor- world, but you're, um, you're an other-centered God. Uh, Jesus Christ came down to this world, and he was so other-centered. Um, he, he made... He made something possible that we could never have gotten on our own, and we thank you for that, Lord God. We pray that you would help us to follow that example um, and, um, and just to be other-centered in our own lives, Lord God. Help, help, us, to, help us to access that, um, access what you've told us to be in your word, Lord God, and help us to go out and glorify you to the best of our ability every single day. We love you. In your name, amen.